Coremedia.info. Coremedia.info. Your sexy, smooth media channel for up-to-date crypto news. The real deal with sex appeal. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Core Radio. And uh, today we have Reggie Middleton on. Say hello for the guest, Reggie. Greetings, guests. And we, uh, we're probably going to have Sasha. We're not sure he's having some, uh, some, some issues with his microphone. But uh, Sasha from Waves, he's going to co-host. He's, we also have House from Core Media. Hey, co-host. hey, hey. Big Daddy in the house, and uh, got Lutz. Everyone knows Lutz. So, so Reggie, this show—it's—I—I—I I, I came up with the name of it. The name of it is "Who Is Reggie Middleton?" That's me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I take I should answer, right? Yeah, man. Who are you? I, you know, you know. <laughs> Where do you, you come from, you Reggie? Are, what about, we want to know more about you. you. You're a major personality out there. You've got extensive experience in finance, uh, business models, um, and cryptocurrency. You've tipped your hat into. You've got a, you've got a lot of information there. But we want to know who Reggie Middleton is. Before we take it any further, we, we're going to be following this up. But we want to know about you, and um, what what makes you tick. Well, I'm a clean vanilla type guy. Uh, Native New Yorker. I'm a father first and foremost. Nice. Children. One of them full grown, 24, so he's not a child. Fifteen year old and ten year old. And uh, that's my full time occupation. Uh, right. Other than being a father and a son, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Um, not the venture capital way, but you know, a small uh, sole proprietor type entrepreneur where I invested in real estate. I had a dot com during the dot com days. I'm soon to be 49 years old. Um, not necessarily a young boy, uh, but not old yet either. Uh, I had a dot-com. Uh, I had, uh, after the dot-com, I did real estate investing. I uh, purchased small income-producing properties in Brownstones in downtown Brooklyn, Fort Greene, Clinton Hill, for those who are familiar with the area. Uh, what makes the area special or different is it's supposed to charge gentrification. Um, and at the same time, um, that it was being gentrified with the uh, one demographic moving in, displacing another, and that one demographic, uh, actually several demographics, it was gentrified several times over. But in general, it was a higher income um, demographic placing the lower income demographic from a rental perspective and purpose. And this was fueled even more by a credit bowl. And uh, so you add, you take a fire, you throw gasoline on it, you get a lot of heat. Um, and add to that someone who makes decisions by spreadsheets and numbers attempts um, jabs and stabs at logic and I did rather well from a return perspective you know I was deep into the quarters in return on a cash perspective Um, it has cash in cash out real estate has built in leverage it's called a mortgage so you add in leverage uh, credit bubble and uh, fundamental gains gentrification and I did rather well until it got to the point where yeah, two plus two started to equal 45. 
and I'm not even good at math. I'll be honest with you, but I know two plus two doesn't equal forty-five. So <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's right. So you're just just take, taking a, a little back step. So your motiv- motivation, uh, financial motivations, came must have stemmed from somewhere. Did you guys grow up uh, with uh, all the bells and whistles? Is uh, you know running with the rich kids, or were you brought up uh, pretty modestly? I was brought up in a working class family in uh, Roosevelt, Long Island. Uh, I went to Howard University in uh, Washington, D.C. And, uh, I, you know, the, I wouldn't call it my motivation financial. I'm a perpetual student. I'm always learning. Right. Uh, I try to listen more than I talk. Nice. And um, it doesn't always work out that way. But when I do listen, I do open my eyes. I do see things. It's like a tapestry being painted and unveiled in front of you. And. I always thought it was natural. Everybody can listen. Basically, shut the hell up. <laughs> but uh, apparently, um, that seems to be a, a relatively rare talent these days uh, or capability. Which, um, and I discovered that about a decade and a half ago, two decades ago. And in doing that, um, I was able to do things that other people couldn't, or at least wouldn't. I'm still fully aware that most people can. They choose not to or they choose to follow the crowd because it's easier um and i like to analyze things i'm very analytical um i'm, I'm rather creative as well so there's a there's a synaptic bridge that connects my left side my right side where a lot of people have a moat a gap i have a bridge and you know my, my little brain cells walk back and forth and um that's how i come up with the relatively crazy schemes that i do um such as in the dot-com days my dot-com startup was uh, the 1990s version of Google Docs, Google Drive, where you had a Java-based um, office suite that stored all the files on a web server, and you could access the office suite and the files by typing in a password. And um, it was before its time, and lo and behold, maybe 10, 15 years later, you know, Google Docs is now encroaching heavily on Microsoft Office, very heavily. You know, um, my children, my two youngest children use Google Docs extensively. Um, and the only time they ever come in contact with Excel and Word is when they have an old school teacher who forces the te- who attempts to teach them technology. But the fact they're teaching them last decade technology. Um, are, are they developers themselves? No. Um, you know, what I have they them. They, well, my 10 year old is a 10 year old girl, and that's what she does full time. <laughs> you know, fun. But she's a very strong communicator, very empathetic. Uh, and I teach. I teach classes that they go to, I teach in their schools. Uh, I just posted a video um, on YouTube. And uh, I teach very high level stuff. I teach um, undergrad and grad level and above uh, curriculum. And everybody from, say, age eight to all the way up gets it. Uh, she is looking possibly to start a business, but she's looking to get into the medical field. She wants to help people and animals. This is the 10 year old? This is a 10 year old. Wow. Um, she doesn't want to be a doctor. She actually wants to help people, um, which is interesting. I, I, I like where her head's at. You know, there beautiful. is a distinct difference. My 15 year old is a strategic genius. Um, I have uh, pictures and videos of him. I don't know if he's familiar with New York, but he goes up to Union Square Park and he whips the guys, the professional chess players, to play for five dollars a game. He walks through them. Uh, he's been doing it since he was eight. He, he doesn't even play anymore. Uh, he wow. is not so much a very good chess player, he's very, very strategic. 
very strategic, and he knows how to take his time and count the moves. Uh, he's gotten into technology and more so finance, and so we're going through options trading. Um, he he last year last week he told me uh, he wants to go through shorting Nintendo. Uh, he thought the Pokemon Go thing was just out of control. Uh, <laughs> day before yesterday, Nintendo dropped what thirty two percent. Uh, 18% that morning and then another 15%. I don't know if you follow it, but the reason it dropped is because somebody decided to actually find out how much Nintendo owned the Pokemon franchise, which is 30%. Right. Well, if they only own 30%, why is the stock doubling? Yeah. <laughs> With Pokemon Go being popular. So things like that he picks up on and he's under my wing and I'm teaching him. Uh, and my 24 year old is also into uh, uh, animal care, uh, biology and he's still feeling his way out he actually helped me st uh, start very tasting as well which is oh, our small contract um, hey sir yes hey, hey reggie can you adopt me <laughs> <laughs> and me too <laughs> <laughs> i'll go put you to work like everybody else just that you know so <laughs> that's yeah, all right. my, <laughs> my 15 year old is actually um I, for the balance of the summer he's gonna um teach for me the digital asset management class um, I've actually, I started doing live uh, streaming of Facebook and Twitter via Periscope. And I got quite a few requests for people to teach them Bitcoin. And I'm thinking teaching Bitcoin is actually too narrow a request. And I can understand how they make it because they don't understand. So I'm teaching digital asset management. Uh, basically how to manage digital assets. Think of an asset manager, but purely digital. And I'm going from the very beginning all the way up. Like when people think of digital currency, they think of Bitcoin or uh, Ethereum or Litecoin or Veracoin. And that's not really the way the you know, reality sits. Economically, digital assets or any asset that's digital. You know, the largest coin is what? Quick quiz. Bitcoin. 10 cents to the winner. Nobody gets it? Who, what's what's the, the largest, largest digital? Bitcoin? Nah, not even close. We're talking about the market US cap? dollar. US ah, dollar. Right. Okay. Um, and a lot of people say, what? What do you mean? Well, how many dollars do you have in your pocket, Luce? Yeah, I got about $80 in my pocket. Okay. And how much money do you have in total? The CP tells us. In total in my pocket? Total US dollars. Uh, I got. Right now, about maybe twenty-four thousand. Okay, so, and where is that twenty-four thousand? You'd have to give us exact location. It's in the it's bank, right, isn't it? It's digital. Then the oh, bank. yeah, uh, it's just a representation. It's right. in, it's in one of those IRA things. Yeah. Okay, so you have it in the IRA. Let's suppose you have it in J.P. Morgan IRA. What you have in it is a centralized digital wallet, a centralized wallet, um, which is your J.P. Morgan bank account. Okay, you have eighty dollars in actual cash, physical currency, and you have another twenty-four thousand in uh, digital currency in your digital wallet, centralized digital wallet. Okay, just like Bitcoin, a lot of people would have. Let's, let's draw an analogy. You could have twenty-four thousand dollars in Coinbase. I probably wouldn't recommend that, but you have twenty-four thousand dollars in Coinbase. And you could have eighty dollars in uh, physical Bitcoin representations, paper wallets, etc what you can actually trade. You have your physical Bitcoins with the uh, um, holographic stripe to show that they were, were not tampered with. You can actually trade those. So, you know, the US dollar is the deepest, uh, largest market cap digital currency. User was Euro, moved to your channel. Euro will probably be second. 
um, then you have the pound, yuan, yen, etc. Most people don't think of um, digital currencies as what they are. They think of digital currencies as cryptocurrencies. But cryptocurrencies are an offshoot of digital currencies with a different backing. Digital currencies are, are fiat currencies in general. They're sovereign-based, sovereign-backed, and they have a totally different uh, value proposition uh, than the fiat, I mean, than the sovereign. So uh, the U.S. dollar is backed by the full faith uh, of the government, and basically the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency, meaning that that's what everything, in the, every major service or item in the world is based in. Gold is based in U.S. dollars, oil is based in U.S. dollars, a lot of the major um, financial derivatives are based in U.S. dollars. And the reason is, the U.S. has the biggest gut. You know, before the reserve currency was U.S. dollar, it was the British pound. Why? Britain had the biggest guns. And if you go back in history, reserve currency always belonged to the sovereign nation with the largest guns. This is the first time where you have a currency that has the ability, the potential to uh, compete with uh, sovereign fiat currencies. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason is because A, Bitcoin it has its own transportation rails. You could send and receive it without third parties, cheaper, more efficiently, and often faster. B, it's programmable. You know, you can literally program it with Bitcoin script, make smart contracts. A whole nother conversation, a whole nother world. Very big deal, oh, the biggest deal in Bitcoin. Of course, some things that are still not being discussed. You know, people discuss Ethereum and their smart contracts. Bitcoin has a scripting language. As we have found out, it's actually safer um, to write and execute than Ethereum. Not like Ethereum is broken or inferior, but uh, it's not fully understood by the developers who are writing on it, or some of them. And the, re and the result is things like the DAO, uh, right. which is another large conversation. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the sophistication and knowledge base of your audience, so I don't know whether I should start everything from scratch. But you know, the DAO was basically a large application that tried to automate uh, venture capital uh, activities. They wrote a big application that uh, was to serve the act as a venture capital. It was written as a smart contract which is a computerized contract made of code um, that's supposed to take place of a legal contract. And the terms were um, in the contract itself, the code. So the code was the terms, the terms of the code, the code was supposed to be final. Of course, um, Ethereum, the application developers, a lot of the so-called investors, you don't, shouldn't call them investors because that would be illegal because that would make this uh, right. unregistered uh, securities offering, but we won't go there either because I definitely don't want to get anybody in trouble. But the participants in the DAO and the developers didn't think everything through. Many of the participants didn't even read the contract. You have to be a developer to read the contract. Um, so non-developers actually didn't do it. And apparently many developers didn't. But there was one developer who did and finally could take money out. Um, according to the terms of the contract, he did. That's right. Fifty-six million dollars, and then everybody labeled him a hacker. Um, yeah. I'm not a developer, but I have yet to have anybody, you know, uh, describe to me what the hell he hacked. You know, reading a contract is not hacking. You know, That's it's right. Your direction. Yes. So, yeah. Long story short, um, th there was a recursive bug in the code that allowed you to repetitively go in and create child versions of the DAO and populate it with uh, capital from the DAO. And he just kept doing it, kept doing it until he got you know, 50, 60 million. That bug, um, taking advantage of that bug could potentially be considered a hacking, except for the fact that that bug was now part of the contract and the contract was considered the final terms of the agreement between 
DAO and those who uh, purchase the um, the DAO tokens for that. So if the code of the contract is the final word and there's a bug in the code, well, that bug is the final word. Again, he didn't hack it. He read the directions. Um, now, the theorem was forked. And the reason it was forked was they tried to get the non-investors, investors their money back. I was definitely against that, but I'm not a part of the Ethereum movement. I'm a fan, an observer, but not a, a part of it. And um, the reason why I was against the hack of the fork was because that would actually be a hack. That would be breach of contract and theft. Now, a lot of the Ethereum supporters, not all of them, but a lot of them said that the guy who took the money was the hacker. He stole the money, etc. And I still don't drive with that. He might have did something that some could consider unethical, but you know, if we have a to give this an analogy in um, more layman's terms, or financial terms, we go to a, a, a broker dealer, you know, a stockbroker, and I say, I want to buy $100,000 of uh, Apple stock, okay? Um, or and I want to buy $100,000 of Apple stock on margin, okay? So I put, you know, 50, I put what, $20,000 up, I get uh, $100,000 up and uh, I get $200,000 of Apple stock. So I bought $200,000 of stock, I'm sorry. And then as soon as I bought it, okay, the guy that sold it to me um, gets $200,000. You know, he gets paid almost $200,000 in total, only putting a very small amount up because Apple files for bankruptcy uh, the following day. Right. The guy that sold me the stock, okay, knew they would go file for bankruptcy. And there was a clause in the c contract of sale that said, Despite what he knows, this deal is still, you know, um, valid. Now, I'm pissed off because I lost this money. I never read the contract though, okay? And the guy didn't do anything but go along with the contract. He might have right. known of my ignorance and naivety, but, you know, that's not against the law. And, you know, a prudent man should read whatever contract he enters and sign. But I know the software company that developed the database for the uh, transaction in the brokerage company. And I knew the brokerage company. And my friends in the database company lost a little bit of money. My friends in the brokerage company lost a little money. So I get together with them. I don't want to say collude, but I, you know, discuss ways where we could possibly, you know, get my money back. Now there are ways you could get your money back. You could go in the market, make another transaction and potentially profit to the amount you lost. Or you could go find a guy, put a gun to his head, say, yo, you run the money, right? Yep. Or yeah, you can yeah, he's have the yeah, <laughs> you can have the uh, code rewritten to act like that transaction didn't happen. This is what happened with uh, the Ethereum blockchain. It was fought. One side of the Ethereum blockchain said this transaction didn't happen. The other side did. They allegedly voted on it. I don't know about the participation of the vote, but I heard it was a complete um, and it was controlled mostly by a small collective large uh, voters. Um, but again, I don't know that for a fact, and I'm not anti-Ethereum at all. I'm actually pro-Ethereum, but I don't agree with the four. And the reason is just that going to the brokerage company and saying, you know, since I know the guys who wrote the code, uh, we've decided we're going to undo this transaction and I'm going to get my money back. Now, the guy who sold us the Apple stock has every right um, to sue us for breach of contract, for theft, possibly for collusion in the real world. Know, maybe even securities fraud, okay, um, or fraud in general. 
You've articulated that very well. Oh no, I'm just saying you've articulated that really well. It's a great analogy. Actually, a lot of it came from the guy himself. He wrote a very interesting essay saying, "I wish you would," and he already talked to a law firm. Um, but the other part, you know, the brokerage firm and everything else, that's exactly how I see it happening. Which is why、um, it's like calling the guy that sold you the Apple stock a hacker. You know,、yes. you were ignorant. You didn't read the contract. He took advantage of that. But listen, you know, that happens every 15 seconds on Wall Street. So, and most of the guys on Wall Street can't program worth a damn. And then I have to. Okay. <laughs> read that. Yeah. So what happens is apparently there are、um, enough in the community who values. An Ethereum blockchain that cannot and would not be rolled back, and so when they、uh, fought Ethereum, that's、um, the whole idea. Yeah, the,、uh, that's it. That's how I see it too. When they fought、mm-hmm. Ethereum, they had Ethereum Classic, the old blockchain that they fought, and they had the Ethereum that they were backing. The, at least the、uh, foundation was backing.、Um, another thing they didn't anticipate, I guess they didn't anticipate people. Uh, finding bugs in the code that was considered a contract. They didn't anticipate someone getting weak accounts, etc. But they also didn't anticipate significant backing behind the original Ethereum fork.、Um, and, and what happened is a lot of people started supporting it. Exchanges started uh, um, adopting it. Several big mining pools jumped behind it. And now the hashing power and the difficulty rate is doubling and now tripling. It doubled day before, two days ago, and it tripled yesterday. I haven't checked today, but there's a good chance if it's still going at the rate that increasing at the rate it's going now, it will match、um, the Ethereum、um, chain that's being backed by the consortium. This means not the consortium, the、uh, foundation. This means that economically the foundation has lost control of Ethereum because they forked it with the anticipation, I'm assuming, that、uh, the coin or the blockchain that they're backing would be the one that would be used. But、um, there's apparently Demand for an unforkable, at least、uh, a blockchain that's not forkable for the benefit of the minority or benefit of the application developer or the benefit of investors, which I think is where it should be. And like some more power to the guys, but I feel they made a very bad strategic economic choice, and they、oh, weakened、yeah. the premise of blockchain technology and、oh, yeah. more, more Bitcoin and everything else as well. Well, they're making a scrambled eggs mess of what's going on in there. It's, it's,、yeah. it, it's just blowing out of proportion. And、uh, but look, enough about Ethereum. We're really、yeah. interested. I mean, Lutz, do you have anything to add to that? I no, I'm, I'm not really big on Ethereum myself. I I know a lot of people are. I'm more, more into the waves. And, yeah, of course.、Uh, and, and actually, I, I like Steam it, and I, and I like、yeah. Library. You heard of Steam it? I heard his teammate. That's、uh, Daniel Longmore. He's、uh, yeah. the ex CEO of BitShares.、Um, strong developer, C plus plus guru, from one hundred. At least what he tells me.、Um, and he seems like a very smart guy. I'm actually going to. I just joined Steamit、uh, a couple of days ago. I haven't had a chance to do one, but I'm going to put some content on Steamit. Something、oh, pretty、great. strong that they're not used to.、Um, I didn't get finished. I didn't get to finish talking about myself, but、uh, after at least my background. Um, yes. After I did the dot com, I did the real estate investment. Did very strong.、Um, right about 2005,、um, 2005 was my last purchase. I started 2000, 1999-2000, and、uh, I just couldn't justify、um, prices that were being charged, despite the fact 
that I was making significant gains. I would buy, I get a property for free um, and pull say $80,000, 60 to $80,000 year rent roll off of it and then turn around after four years to sell it for 1.3, 1.4 million. Um, and you know, I did this multiple times over and I wasn't flipping it. My goal was just to build a portfolio and keep it. I'm not the flipping type. But you know, when I see you know, a broker overcharge for a building by 20%, you know, a building that's worth maybe a million, you know, they sell for 1.2 million. And then three months later, someone turns around and sells it for another 1.6. You know, it's out of control. Residential yeah. real estate in New York should increase roughly two to 3% a year historically, if you take the bubble out. Two to 3% a year, the 20 to 50% a year is absolutely ridiculous. So the writing was on the wall for that one. So I sold everything off and I went to start a hedge fund, basically short everybody who ever did business with me. Cause I, you know, <laughs> the writing, I, and I wanted access to that 10, 20, 30 times that the hedge funds got. So I spent $75,000 to get hedge fund documents written up by these overpriced, watch my Italian guy, lawyers in Midtown. And uh, as it turned out, the hedge fund market collapsed and uh, the hedge fund managers who had a zero return or higher got more redemptions than the guys who were losing money because everybody was pulling their money out to try and cover their holes in Florida and their boats, etc. So that didn't work out, just you know, wasted my 75,000, 75,000. Yeah. But at the same time, I created a blog to market myself. I couldn't push the hedge fund directly according to SEC rules, so I was to market myself. And the reason was I wasn't a typical guy that meant to you know, the high-end private school, Harvard grad, Goldman Sachs prop desk, you know. I was a dude from Roosevelt, Long Island, in Brooklyn, and, you know, the school of hard knocks. But right. I paid attention, I listened. And uh, the blog got very, very popular. I started New York Review's blog, then moved on. It's, you know, a recommendation to do my own. And I was free, I was just basically marketing myself. But um, people were asking me a lot of questions, and being very forceful. Um, Asking me questions rather forcibly for someone who wasn't paying for them, you know, bugging me in the middle of the night. So I decided to get people to leave me alone. So what's the easiest and quickest way to get somebody to leave you alone? You tell me. Quickest and easiest your phone. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> Ask them for money. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I put a paywall up, total silence, crickets. I had peace for three days and then my phone rang. And it was Morgan Stanley. And they said, uh, if we wire you $10,000, you'll put three of our practice traders on. I'm like, of course I will. Oh. <laughs> what kind of question is that, right? And that's how Boom Bus Blog was started. So for seven years, from 2007 to 2014, I uh, was publishing my research behind the firewall uh, between $75,000 a month and $3,000 a year. Um, basically, with my insights in the market. Uh, we had some pretty strong calls. Uh, most of these yeah, it's calls a great calls, Richard. I'd be, I was yeah. watching, and you, you had some you. brilliant, brilliant calls. In fact, you were the only one to uh, um, discuss the negative interest rate or uh, well, NERP policies. So, yeah. Kudos. Absolute nonsense. Yeah, this is nonsense. That's like negative life. You know, uh, it's called death in reality. But um, yeah. you know, these hey. concepts are, uh, you know, are, are going to be the fall of the European um, banking system as they know it, as we know it. Um, in 2007, I called the housing crash, which I explained, that was just an offshoot of me selling my properties. Uh, the commercial real estate crash, again, another offshoot. 
Uh, I called the fall of Bear Stearns about three months before they popped. I called yep. Lehman Brothers six months before they popped. Yep. Uh, General Growth Properties a year before they popped. I said they didn't solve it. Um, they probably go bankrupt. They came after the nasty press releases Friday night on oh, no. the weekend. No problem, though. No. They probably were trying to gear up for a lawsuit, but they had to file bankruptcy, so <laughs> they didn't have a right. chance to. Um, uh, Mushroom Mutual, Countrywide, um, Blackberry, um, which was used to be called Research Emotion and Rim. Uh, so I had a lot. I also said that uh, Google was going to blow up. I said Microsoft was making a lot of money, but in a few years, they're going to you know, run into saturation and start falling, which is exactly what they're doing. So the areas that I knew, uh, finance, banking, insurance, real estate, uh, mm-hmm. wider networking, technology, the internet, handsets, stuff like that. Um, I had strong calls on. And then I ventured out other things that I didn't know well, but I was able to make very objective calls on because I wasn't married to the industry. So right. when I saw two plus two and after the equal sign was, you know, 79, I said, okay, I'm calling bullshit. And right. I go in, buy up a bunch of, uh, you know, cheap puts and uh, publish research. And I had a strong enough following where I think uh, after certain publications, certain blog posts or TV appearances, the stock would move because I had a pretty strong track record. Um, I stopped that in 2013. After two years, I, mean, I, had, I started looking at Bitcoin. My clients were asking me. And I got uh, okay. years. It's when it started. Right. And when I finally did look at it, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, <laughs> what? Yeah. You know, a digital currency that circumvents the central bank and the money center banks. Yeah, baby. Transportation wheels and programmable. It has not been hacked after being in the public sector for four or five years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. I thought I missed the <laughs> on that. And I really right, did. so they just um, they piqued your interest right then and there after. Yeah. Because it was quite was, a concentration of time around the, from 2007, 2006 up to around 2013. There was a lot happening. And I, you yeah. obviously applied what you had learned through, uh, through the financial sector and uh, real estate um, and, and saw an opening f- to uh, use this uh, decentralized technology for a, a better purpose. So this is what brought you, I guess, into uh, into the Bitcoin space and ultimately UltraCoin. Yes, that's what it was. Uh, UltraCoin was actually rebranded to Veritasium because there's an altcoin or was an altcoin. I didn't think it would survive and it didn't call UltraCoin and it caused a lot of confusion. Um, UltraCoin or Veritasium is basically a smart contract wallet. You know, it's not an altcoin. It's a smart contract wallet that programs and scripts Bitcoin to uh, make a contract between two or more entities. Do basically whatever you want. And we started in the financial industry with digital swaps. So you could swap um, any two values or more values up to four a pair in a contract. Um, four, which is two pairs in a contract. Um, and it's, let's say you want to swap $100,000 of Apple um, equity exposure for $100,000 of US dollar exposure. That means you're gonna go short US dollar along Apple or buying Apple stock. Okay, 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 okay. So, hold up. So, not just jump straight in there straight away because Veritasium is uh, is quite a significant technology you've got here. Um, let's, let's just pull this apart a little bit. So, um, Veritasium is a smart contract platform that is for primarily business. For anybody who wants to trade back. Um, one thing I've realized, uh, the legacy businesses 
pretty much had to differentiate between um, retail consumers, small businesses and large businesses because the infrastructure to serve them was different. And um, you know, you had to scale up in one direction to serve, say, big banks and hedge funds, you had to scale up in another direction to serve, you know, the guy who wants to invest five hundred or trade five hundred thousand dollars, and then in a different direction for medium sized businesses who do twenty, thirty, a hundred thousand dollars. Bitcoin blockchain has a relatively low cost structure, very low barrier to entry. I do not have to differentiate from a technical perspective. Um, do must retail, big business, small business. Get access to the blockchain. You don't have to go through AML, KYC. There are no account minimums. You don't have to show your ID. You don't have to wait three days to get an account. There are no approvals. You access coin, you can trade. It's just that simple, that quick. Um, you could be up and trading from nothing to doing a trade within 45 minutes, assuming it takes you 30 seconds to download the wallet, coin in, it's going to take you maybe between 10 and 40 minutes for that coin to uh, go through enough um, um, uh, blocks uh, to be secured into the wallet, and then you put your trade up. You find something you want to trade with, you put it up. It works as you put in tickers. You trade about 45,000 tickers all asset classes, stocks, bonds, currency, forex, indices, commodities, uh, right. almost anything that will um, appear in a ticker, except for- And it's currently uh, functional. It's functioning it's right functional. now. It's currently functioning trading right now. I um, cut off access to the clients because of uh, regulatory issues. Uh, the CFTC decided they regulate Bitcoin, and because of that, Dodd-Frank, they could potentially consider us a swap execution facility. Yes. Um, so I took a step back with that. Um, we're pursuing funding. I've actually had a problem funding, believe it or not, which shouldn't be the case because they look, I'm relatively yeah. well known and that's right. a damn good product. And we have the first two or three patent applications in the entire world. Um, and I can actually verify that. That's Look, I think we got the, the solution cap- for you, Richie. <laughs> okay. That's Capital Markets uh, applications to the Bitcoin blockchain for things such as swaps. Right. You get that loots. <laughs> Yo, I I just have a couple of questions. First, yeah. how does one turn twenty four thousand dollars into a couple million? And where do I put it? <laughs> yeah. Well, put it this way: it's a lot easier to turn twenty four thousand dollars into zero than it is for a couple of million in the short term. Um, the way investing works. Uh, this is how I teach my class. Uh, by the way, if you go to my YouTube channel, you can see the latest video I just put up. Very interesting class. We went through everything. We discussed uh, what is money. Most people don't understand what money is. Money is a proxy for labor. Uh, and then we went through uh, Bitcoin and currencies. And then we went through what is race as a social construct, you know, black, white, etc., which is, seems to be off kilter, but that segued into pitching and you know, pitching your business, pitching yourself, et cetera. I enjoy right, teaching. So what we're gonna do is I'm starting my research adv- and advisory service back up again. Um, it should be right. running by next week. And uh, you know, I, we do real in-depth hardcore stuff. Um, I have a Just quickly, where can we get uh, more information about that, Reggie? Have you got a, a web page set up dedicated to that or is that available from your web, uh, YouTube channel? Uh, you could go to veritasium.com and okay. click the analysis and you could get some of the free stuff I've been putting out. Um, I didn't, I don't have a page 
for the actual hardcore stuff yet. I do have it, but it's on a test at staging server. But it should be up and out next week for everybody right. to go to. And um, you know, this will be paid for, and I charge good money for this because I have to pay analysts, I have to put my time in, and it's worth sure. a lot. But I will always have a tier that's affordable, okay? It's just we're not gonna be nearly as in depth. And I will always give out some free information, either some opinion, or I'll give out the reports after um, the money has been made that could be made. Um, and it just show you, goes to show you exactly how in depth we go and shows you uh, what a real research report looks like versus stuff you download from, you know, JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, et cetera. I feel mm-hmm. cell site research is really just marketing in disguise. Very thinly disguised, man. Right. There you go, Lutz. Maybe uh, take uh, take a chip off that 24G, put it into uh, something like this, and you might be able to get that uh, million dollars you're after. Hey, you, you got a job for me, Reggie? Yeah, potentially, <laughs> potentially. You know, I do need to I, I work. I work for I work for Verizon. I'm a network and en- I'm a network engineer. Okay. Well, let's see. You know, let's see. The uh, the research arm of Veritasium is going to support once we get. I have uh, a couple of things I'm working on in the blockchain portion, and uh, once that's up and running, the research will go part and parcel with the peer-to-peer trading. Veritasium allows peer-to-peer capital markets. Um, remember I told you you can start trading without going through bank accounts and brokerage accounts, etc. Yes. You trade right. directly with somebody else. Peer-to-peer capital markets is unheard of, and most people don't understand it because they insist you have to go through an exchange, you have to go through a brokerage. No, you take a dollar and you buy you know, a piece of candy from a vendor on the street. That's a peer-to-peer transaction. You did not have to go through New York Stock Exchange to get that candy. You didn't have to go through Citibank. You didn't have to go through the federal government. And uh, that's basically mm-hmm. what Feritation is about. Um, right. It to- sounds very, very similar to the Waves platform and Sasha's, uh, Sha- Sasha's uh, idea. Um, so that peer-to-peer capital markets uh, um, just rings, rings bells with me straight away. Future. Now, the future is going to be fought by those centralized server-centric entities such as banks, brokers, exchanges. But, you know, uh, the record companies fought MP3s. You know, hey, uh, the uh, media companies didn't even realize they should be fighting Google until it was too late. Mm. Too late. <laughs> so, um, yeah, a, a lot of banks poo-poo Bitcoin. That um, is not a good idea. I'm not necessarily pro-Bitcoin either. I am very, very dispassionate. You know, I do what's best for me and mine and my venture and my constituency, oh. my clients, and my family. Um, I'm brutally honest but polite. Um, to an extent at least and even though I'm not pro Bitcoin uh, Bitcoin is in my opinion by far the most stable has by far the largest uh, network effect and has the most promise going into the future foreseeable future and this is coming from a a non-pro Bitcoin guy I'm interested to um, uh, um, look further into that, but that might be, might be for another show. Given that um, you, you, your involvement in uh, financial institutions and understanding uh, comprehensively what goes on behind the scenes, um, I find it interesting that you're not necessarily pro-Bitcoin, which is purely a, a decentralized mechanism to do exactly what those guys are doing, but um, on a more trustworthy basis. Well, because uh, I'm not pro anything, I'm pro Reggie. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I'm pro Reggie right. too. So we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> you know, w- when you stop looking at things objectively and you start looking at it subjectively, 
you're bound to make a mistake. As a matter of fact, the fact that you haven't made a mistake means you're just lucky. Um, so a dispassionate perspective is very, very important to have and keep. Very much so, at least from my perspective and my experience. Um, I am bullish on Bitcoin because of its network effect, the head start, its stability, it is hard. Yeah. There's a $9 billion bug bounty out for anybody to crack it. And it hasn't been cracked and it's been out That's there. Right. And trust me, guys, you know, who are smarter than I am have tried. Yeah. Okay. They, they break into JP Morgan or attempt to break into JP Morgan maybe a hundred thousand times a day. That's if right. You see, probably weekly. You only hear about it once every couple of years. And the Bitcoin blockchain, you hear about it because everything's public. The blockchain is for all to see. They have a class at once. That's it. And let's be clear, when we're talking about Bitcoin, uh, we're talking about protocol, not the currency. Right. Well, you know, in, in my opinion, the protocol and the currency is hard to separate. Like you hear in the media, you're separating, uh, you know, Bitcoin from the blockchain. You know, that's like separating, you know, the engine from the car. Yeah. You know, you can do it, but none of them work without each other. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're familiar with how it works, separating Bitcoin and blockchain is, you know, the guys want to separate the Bitcoin or the token from the blockchain. OK, they do it and then they just replace it with another token and you are right back where you started from. Well, as a, uh, what I was more uh, alluding to was that um, the currency on the Bitcoin protocol is, let's say, the first application um, over the over the protocol. So Bitcoin protocol, Bitcoin currency, I see them as two different things. I might have, uh, be a, there might be an easier and a better way to articulate that, but I see Bitcoin as the currency as the first application on the protocol. Right, and I, I agree. Uh, I I uh, identified it as uh, Bitcoin with a lowercase b is the unit of value of the currency. Bitcoin with the uppercase b is the platform, the blockchain. Yes. So on that note, fellas, I'm going to have to go because my daughter, who I talked about, is expecting me to come home and I am uh, not there. It's <laughs> nice. She's the boss. Oh, Trust hey, me, it was she's a bossy. It was a, it was a pleasure meeting you, brother. It was well, a very, very much. great pleasure, Reggie. Thank you so much for coming on on with our, with us. Um, we'll we'll hook up again if it's all good with you. We'll we'll touch base and um, we'll take it to the next level. Okay, and send me a link to the uh, recording. Uh, I uh, indeed. It for you. Hey, Reg, I'm gonna give you a call. All right, Friday night we're gonna go out. We're gonna get some drinks. All right. <laughs> okay. We we'll, go to free, Flat we'll Iron District. We we'll go to the Flat Iron Lounge. You know what I'm saying? And make some really good drinks there. Okay, let's do that. All right, Reggie, See? take care. All the best. Okay. All right, brother. Goodbye. Later. Cheers. Excited. I think Sasha's on. Yeah, he's, Sasha's he's on. A, our co-host, man. Hey, Sasha, you there? It was really nice talking to Reggie. User disconnected from your channel. I'm sure Sasha would have had some, yeah, some things well, to say about that. Yeah, well, he plugged in the laptop. He, he, he's there. He plugged, out, plugged in his laptop, and um, but he might have an issue with the microphone attached to it. But that's right. okay. Hey, look, Reggie's a great guy. What a, what an amazing character, full of energy. He's got a got a lot of a lot of information there, and smart, smart guy. I tell you, I'm gonna have to try to get in that family somehow. Yeah, well, I'll it, figure it out. 
<laughs> Shameless plug-in. That was funny asking for a job, right, <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, hey, I'm, 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 you know, I, I got things to learn. I'm, you know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's right, man. Who, I'm, who I'm just looking from. I'm just looking for that shoe in the door, you know. <laughs> it's all good, my man. All right, well, I, we we can close off the show and um, and then uh, bring it back, bring it back. All right, guys, everybody, thanks for uh, listening and uh, stay tuned. You know, since Sasha was wasn't on tonight, you know, maybe come on another day. Now tell us all about the Waves platform and maybe how similar it is to Veritasium. All right, guys, everybody, enjoy your night. This is Lute signing out. Love you all. And house, peace out. For media, blockchain news, crypto crews, and interviews, keeping you tuned in to the ecosystem.